I'm John DiLibretto, and you're hearing the Echoes Podcast. This week, we celebrate the 70th birthday of Brian Eno, born on May 15th, 1948. I've got four features on Brian Eno for you today. Before we get there, though, I want to tell you about another musician, Kevin Wood. Kevin is a keyboardist who works in world fusion, focusing on sacred traditions and styles, bringing them in to a Western melodic modality. He's a winner of the Zone Music Award in the past. On his latest album, Eternal, he combines sacred and tribal chant with classical instrumentation to create a world music landscape. The album features the wonderful cellist Jamie Sieber, as well as South African cellist Francois LaRue. Eternal by Kevin Wood is available from Amazon, iTunes, and other online retailers. And now, let's celebrate one of the music geniuses of our time, Brian Eno. hard to talk to a musician on Echoes and not have the name Brian Eno come up. He's been a looming force in modern music for nearly half a century. He's a sonic provocateur who codified the concept of ambient music in the 1970s, embraced a grunge electronic aesthetic in the early 90s, and then sought the holy grail of generative music, essentially music that composes itself. He's produced hit albums for U2, Talking Heads, and Coldplay that defined pop music at the time. Now, now he's turned 70. It happened on May 15th. Coming up, I have the profile of Eno that we ran on Echoes this week, but I've also got a feature on Eno's ambient music, another on some of his music philosophies, and finally, Touched by Eno, a bunch of musicians who have been influenced by him. Kimberly Haas brings us Brian Eno. You have to let go of things. It's much harder to let go of things than to do new things. People don't realize that. They always think how courageous it is to do something new that was uh, not foreseen or predicted. But in fact, the, I think the courage is in letting go of something old that is um, successful and has its own momentum. That's Brian Eno, an artist who has changed his music and the frame around it in nearly four decades of recordings. He's been in ambisexual rock groups, ambient New Age environments, avant-garde ensembles, and at the top of the charts, producing Talking Heads and U2. Brian Eno has made popular music avant-garde and the avant-garde popular. As a student in the 1960s, he was a disciple of experimental composers like Cornelius Cardew and John Cage. Eno applied those principles to rock with the group Roxy Music. Wearing more mascara than RuPaul, Eno used synthesizers and tape machines to alter the group's sound. Guitarist Phil Manzanera was often the subject of Eno's sonic manipulations. So I used to play something, and there was a time delay with Echo. It would go through, to Eno would take, get hold of it, go through his synthesizer, he would process it, treat it, throw it back out, you know, through the PA, 
And you know, sometimes I'll be playing things, and the thing that was coming out through the PA would bear no resemblance. I don't know how it got transformed <laughs> somewhere along the line. And I would just be playing it you know, with my mouth open. <laughs> Brian Eno has made a significant mark in the pop world, producing David Bowie, Talking Heads, and U2. He helped create techno-tribal music with trumpeter John Hassel, and introduced King Crimson guitarist Robert Fripp to tape loops. His obscure record label launched the classical careers of John Adams and Michael Nyman. But perhaps his most enduring achievement lies in a series of records he released between 1978 and 1982 called Ambient Music, I wanted the notion of something that was steady state in the sense that it was always pretty much reliably similar, but it was never exactly the same. A little bit like any natural process, you know, like uh, watching a river or something like that, where it doesn't pull many really big surprises on you, but at the same time it never repeats itself perfectly. So I wanted to make some music that had that rather homogenous but ever-changing character to it. The defining work of Brian Eno's Ambient series was music for airports. That whole album was reinvented in 1998 by the ensemble Bang on a Can. Although Eno thought of it as background music, Bang on a Can composer Michael Gordon thought quite the opposite was true. You know, the title of the piece, Music for Airports, is really challenging right off the bat because he, you know, he's really saying, okay, this is music made for the background but carefully made for the background. And then you listen to it, and it's so interesting, you can't put it on in the background, you want to listen to it in the foreground. is always trying to unlock new modes of creativity. He recorded Another Green World using a deck of cards called Oblique Strategies. Each card had an aphorism on it, and when Eno reached a creative impasse, he would pull a random card from the deck and faithfully follow its instructions, even if it said, emphasize flaws, or do nothing for as long as possible. The last piece on Another Green World is called Spirits Drifting. Yeah, I, I can remember standing there playing this thing with tears <laughs> running down my face. God, what am I doing? I took out an oblique strategy. I pulled it out and it said, just carry on. <laughs> so I just carried on. And in the next half hour or so, that piece suddenly gelled into something that I still like very much. 
and it became the seed for a lot of other work. Brian Eno isn't interested in just blurring the boundaries. He wants to create where the borders break down, systems collapse, and forms decay. I keep wanting to make music where you're not sure of the edges, where the edges fade into sounds that could be in the real world, that could be the sounds of trucks or horns or shortwave or static or signals or trains or things like that. So the edges of the music become softer and there's more of a blending with um, with all this stuff we're hearing now on your microphone, I'm sure. Kimberly Haas bringing us a profile of Brian Eno that we recorded for his 60th birthday. Eno created the genre known as ambient music, which is still going strong today. These opening notes will be familiar to anyone who loves Brian Eno. Composers were still making music as though people were buying the record, rushing home, putting it on and sitting in front of their stereo with their ears glued in the way that one watches a film or something like that. Now, I'm sure you'd agree that that isn't the common experience of people listening to music anymore. Uh, music has become part of the tapestry of your life, like lighting is or like um, the environmental sound that you hear anyway is. Anyway, I was excited by, by the idea of making music that acknowledged that and said, here, here's a music specially for that. Here's a music that is intended to merge into the environment. I wanted the notion of something that was steady state in the sense that uh, it was always pretty much reliably similar, but it was never exactly the same. A little bit like any natural process, you know, like uh, watching a river or something like that, where it doesn't pull many really big surprises on you, but at the same time it never repeats itself perfectly. So I wanted to make some music that had that rather homogenous, but ever-changing character to it. A message to high-end audio lovers. <laughs> Don't expect too much high-end in the future of music. People are going to be experimenting with texture and uh, with a sort of retro approach to recording. Distortion is a, is a negative word for a very interesting 
situation. Distortion is really the production of other harmonics, strange harmonics. It's the creation of a new sonic spectrum within things. These are all quite legitimate areas of concern, but they happen to get this name distortion, so people, people flee in fear from them. Hi-fi is all to do with clarity. I'm really not interested in it. Clarity is something that you you use in the architecture of a piece, like you use windows. You know, you don't have all windows. Uh, you you also want uh, dark places and um, places where you can shut the door. <laughs> and there's a sort of assumption, which is very much like that building over there, that all glass is marvellous. Well, it isn't. That's, that's a horrible kind of building to be in. There's nowhere to hide. <laughs> I want places to hide. Brian Eno is a philosopher of sound. He's one of the deepest thinkers in contemporary music. Here's a piece with just Eno talking about his philosophies in music. My notion is that art does something, not that it means something. Its meaning is what it does. That question, what does it mean, really says, what does it symbolize? And I'm not interested in what it symbolizes, really. I'm not working in that area. noticed what I like listening to. Without exception, the kinds of records I put on are ones that are quite conspicuously performed by people. You know, old soul records or, you know, African bands. As a listener, I don't tend to listen to the kind of music that sounds like it was um, made almost entirely free from any human interference. <laughs> As a listener, what I want is more and more is music where I sense the presence of a person, I sense someone alive at the time that the music was being made. I either want to be deeply moved, which I get from gospel music and from doo-wop actually as well, or I want to be deeply surprised, which I uh, actually get from both of those two. <laughs> In fact, I don't know why why I ever bothered to listen to anything else. <laughs> This is what's very interesting about ABBA, and I, I think it's a lesson that everyone should learn, that everyone like me, the smart people, sneered at them, basically. I secretly did like their tunes, actually, but um, we were the counterculture, and they were the reaction. They were the sort of affirmation of smiling, good-time values. Well, it turns out they lasted. It turns out that my daughters listen to them as well and like them as contemporary music and it turns out that I think they did a bloody good job <laughs>
I love heavy metal, you see, but I think heavy metal players haven't really understood what they're doing, because what they're really doing is making a bath of sound that you can immerse yourself in. But of course they insist that they've got something to say, which of course is a big mistake. Very few people have anything interesting to say, so I think we should just shut up and just make noises, which is what this is about. Clarity is something that you you use in the architecture of a piece, like you use windows. You know, you don't have all windows. Uh, you, you also want dark places and places where you can shut the door and places where you can hide things, places that are warm, places that are cool, places that are bright. There's a sort of assumption, which is very much like that building over there, that all glass is marvellous. Well, it isn't. That's, that's a horrible kind of building to be in. There's nowhere to hide. <laughs> I want places to hide. I'm not keen on studios that have wonderful views and um, beautiful gardens and everything like that. They just want me to give up music. You know, I just, I just feel, um, why am I sitting in a studio when there's such a nice garden outside? Brian Eno, just talking, which he does better than just about anybody. Brian Eno has influenced a wide swath of musicians, and right now I've got a bunch of them talking about Eno's impact on their music. Kimberly Haas brings us musicians touched by Eno. How can you determine the impact of Brian Eno? Do you judge it through the top-selling albums he's produced by U2, Talking Heads, David Bowie, and Coldplay? Do you rate his impact by the genres he's created? Or is the best measurement the countless musicians he's inspired to create their own music? Musicians like Dave Muddyman, who records his Jamud with the English ambient group Loop Guru. When I saw Brian Eno on the old Grey Whistle test, it was the first time I'd ever heard Roxy Music, and I thought, what is he doing? He just had this box with a joystick and lots of, you know, patch controls. And I thought, that's what I want to do. I want to make noises. <laughs> Dave Muddyman is only one among many artists launched into music by Brian Eno. Musician and critic David Toop looks to the careers that Brian Eno has ignited, including his own. If you just look at the obscure label as an A&R exercise, it's pretty remarkable, really, when you consider Michael Nyman and Gavin Bryars and John Adams and Harold Budd. And you could say that virtually everybody who recorded for that label has become better known. Harold Budd was one of those artists, and his albums with Eno, like The Plateau of Mirror and The Pearl, remain timeless icons of ambient chamber music. 
the ones with Brian, I, I think, you know, you have to give him the, the credit for that. I mean, he, he made sure they were, they were, they were clear of, of any uh, unwarranted crap, you know, that would date them immediately. That's a sentiment echoed by guitarist Robert Fripp. He's collaborated with Eno many times. Brian doesn't really have um, a very strong musical background in terms of the craft of music. But what he does have is good taste and a perception of what's right that very, very few musicians have. So working with Eno, it's refreshing to hear the few notes but right, rather than the many, many, many that are wrong from most musicians of my acquaintance. You two, Talking Heads, David Bowie, Coldplay, and Paul Simon are among the best-known musicians that Eno has produced. Daniel Lanois has worked with him on many of those projects, as well as Eno's solo albums like Apollo. He says Brian Eno is a producer who lives in the moment. He will begin with a plan, but the plan has been known to change along the way. Because <laughs> the element of discovery is very much... Uh, Brian's thing, and he, he likes to leave himself open to making discoveries, accepting them, and possibly uh, changing the direction midway. One of Eno's first productions was the debut album by Devo. Devo founder Mark Mothersbaugh still remembers it fondly. He was really a nice guy. You know, he was a really empathetic person to work with. At some level, he must have thought, well, what a bunch of freaks out of the middle of the country, you know. And some of it we kind of, we took to less as well as other people. Some of his more precious stuff where he'd pull out his um, deck of um, oblique strategies and, and he'd turn a card over and then we'd start making fun of it instead of, you know, like being all reverential about it. And I know that probably if we would have smoked hashish with him in the other room, maybe we'd all would have been much more like, ooh. But uh, in the end, he just let us do what we felt we needed to do, and then he offered as much help as he could. Mark Mothersbaugh, U2, Talking Heads, they are all nearly contemporaries of Brian Eno. David Byrne is six years younger. David Bowie is one year older. But Eno's influence extends to a younger generation, musicians in their 20s and 30s, some of them born the year Music for Airports was released. There's no denying the influence that he has on my, you know, droney, melodic kind of thing, you know. So <laughs> I'll never deny an Eno influence ever, you know. I just listened to Music for Airports again recently and was so blown away by how... how evocative that music can be and, and I'm a huge Eno fan and I've actually had the, the incredible honor of meeting him at Real World and getting to talk to him about the I Ching and just like you know that sort of thing that when you're a kid you go oh you know you dream of someday and then suddenly you find yourself in a room with you know Brian Eno and Robert Fripp at the same time like I'm like what the hell's going on here it's mental. Yeah. 
Jimmy Lavelle from The Album Leaf, Evan Bartholomew, a.k.a. Blue Tech, and BT, artists who have all been touched by Eno. Kimberly Haas bringing us those touched by Eno. And that ends our celebration of Brian Eno for his 70th birthday. He was born on May 15th. Next week in the Echoes podcast, we'll hear from a musician heavily influenced by Eno, ambient chamber music composer Jeff Greinke. I hope you enjoyed our celebration of Brian Eno on his 70th birthday. And if you did, ask yourself, did anyone else do this? Did you hear an Eno tribute on Sirius or Pandora, let alone your local radio station or even NPR? But you got to hear on the Echoes podcast and Echoes. So support the show that takes the time to honor geniuses like Brian Eno. Go to echoes.org and make a donation. I hear times are good. Be generous. Be generous.